Hey super friends, Don Stater here, and I have escaped the confines of the emergency department for this podcast, and we are podcasting live from the sink here in Boulder, Colorado. I've got a beer in hand, which is much better than my typical podcast, and I'm here with some very, very interesting company. I've got right beside me Peter Grace, PhD from the University of Colorado. Peter, do you want to say hello to the people and tell them some of uh, some of the work that you've done and the new paper that you've recently come out with? Hi, everyone. Um, so the work that we're doing is focused on uh, neuropathic pain, and we're interested in the contribution that uh, central nervous system immune cells, called glia, uh, play in the criticity of pain that's associated with that. So the recent study that we've done then is uh, really trying to understand what the factors that lead to the chronicity of, of pain after a, a nerve injury and we've interestingly found that morphine treatment shortly after that injury um, in our rat model will actually double the, uh, the duration of the pain uh, due to that original injury. When I, uh, when I saw this, this paper by Peter in the Denver Post, I think I spit my coffee across my wall because I had one simple thought was holy crap, are we as medical providers a big part of the reason people get chronic pain by potentially either inappropriately or appropriately giving them narcotics for pain. And that was the simple thought that I had uh, and why I've asked Peter to come and uh, chat with us about some of his really interesting research. Okay? Now, uh, Peter, what was the name of the study again in, in its entirety? So it's morphine paradoxically prolongs pain in rats by uh, enhancing uh, or <laughs> following sustained uh, NLRP3 inflammasome activation. Yep. And if you guys don't want know what an interlipid IP3 inflammasome is, <laughs> neither do I. <laughs> but I like the name inflammasome. It sounds pretty. It sounds pretty damn malignant. So, uh, Peter, let's start. What happens when we get painful stimuli? So, let's say I am uh, working on some carpentry. I whack my finger and break my thumb with a, with a hammer. What exactly is happening at a neurological level that makes me say, ouch? So you've got a local inflammatory response um, due to all the tissue damage um, that's just occurred. That activates um, C fibers and uh, A beta fibers. Um, so you've got this sensitivity to touch. That's really just a protective mechanism so that you'll leave that injury site alone. Um, and just let it heal undisturbed. And once the, the injury heals, that pain then goes away. So what's different then with a, a chronic injury, um, or chronic pain rather, is that even though that original injury heals, um, the pain still persists. And it's, uh, it's no longer being driven by that, uh, in this case, uh, that peripheral side of injury. There's uh, central changes that have, have occurred that are leading to this uh, prolonged sensitization. Um, it's a process called central sensitization um, that then means that there's a, a lower, lowering of threshold uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, sensory stimuli, so these are interpreted as pain, um, and normal things like touch are now being interpreted as pain. Yeah. And, uh, and we can all think of the patients who come into our emergency department and have hypersthesia which is the fancy-ass term that we use to describe that, where normal stimuli, when even touching someone's leg, makes them scream out in pain. And, and what I'm understanding from what you're telling us, Peter, is that when 
acute pain develops into chronic pain, it's because their, physiolo their physiology at how their nerves interpret things radically changes. And is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So there's two general things that are happening. One is that the, um, the nerve fibers that are responsible for transducing touch are rewired in the spinal cord so that they're now um, uh, synapsing with pain projection neurons. So touch is actually interpreted as pain by the brain. Um, the other is that uh, the, the threshold for activation of, uh, for C fibers is decreased so that uh, it really doesn't take much to um, induce the sensation of pain. So pain is both misinterpreted and that threshold is lower with chronic pain patients. Um, now tell me exactly when people come in with acute pain and we try to treat that with morphine, how does that cause chronic pain? What's the, what's the mechanism for that, for that transformation? At least the mechanism that's suggested by some of the research that you've been performing. Yeah, so in our rat study, we were interested in, in seeing what uh, morphine treatment would do to neuropathic pain. Um, and so here we were, we were treating um, these rats with morphine once the neuropathic pain had become established. Um, and we're really focused on a particular cell type in the, the spinal cord that contributes to central sensitization, and that's glial cells. And so what we're seeing um, in our study is that um, the activation of these glial cells after that peripheral nerve injury, that's well established. What we're showing is that, that opioids are also activating these glial cells so that when these two things occur at the same time, you're getting hyperactivation of the cells leading to exaggerated activation of cytokines, um, which then feeds back on those um, pain projection neurons and increasing their sensitization and, and actually inducing firing of those um, pain projection neurons as well. Now, Peter, before I got this beer in my hand and when we were chit-chatting before, you said something which to me kind of blew my mind. You said that morphine or opioids peripherally act as an immunosuppressant but centrally act as pro-inflammatory. And can you explain kind of, kind of that thought process and some of the research that you and other fine basic scientists have done? Yeah, so it's, it's uh, counterintuitive given the pretty vast literature um, uh, showing that, for instance, heroin addicts are immunosuppressed. Um, it seems that at these uh, glial cells in particular, um, that morphine is acting both through the classical um, mu opioid receptor as well as um, uh, other immune receptors that are expressed by these cells. And so it's uh, resulting in the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, so things like uh, TNF, tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1, pretty classical pro-inflammatory cytokines. Okay. So you said pro-inflammatory. You've thrown out another, another bunch of fancy terms that take me back to my immunology days. I, I have never heard the term inflammasome before. Can you tell me what the heck that is? Yep. So it's a, a pretty cool sounding word to describe um, the, the signaling cascade that's responsible for the production of interleukin-1 beta. So it's, it's a really potent uh, cytokine. It's at, at very, very low uh, concentrations, it can have profound effects. So to protect the body from, um, uh, from excessive stimulation from the cytokine, it's under this tight control that um, requires multiple steps for its activation, and that's what's called the inflammasome. Okay, okay. I don't think I'm any closer to understanding what that is, but I think for my, for my simple reptilian brain, inflammasome equals bad. Is that correct? 
It can. <laughs> Thank you for humoring me on that, that little, little divergence. Okay, so um, let's tie this into potentially, you know, what I thought clinically. And this is a big jump, a jump that's probably too premature to make here. But do you think that our recent 20-year-plus trend of increasingly treating people with pain, both acute and subacute and chronic, has actually precipitated a larger number of chronic pain patients? Could we potentially, as doctors, as nurses, as paramedics, been potentiating this problem of chronic pain? So as you say, it's a, a big step um, to go from rat to human. Um, I think what what uh, got us interested in this question to begin with about these long-term effects of opioids um, is the fact that in the clinical literature there's really no long-term data that is past a year to support the use of opioids um, in, a, in a chronic setting. So we just don't know whether they're um, actually doing what they should be doing and treating the pain or if, if in fact they're having negative consequences. And our study is actually suggesting that there may be negative consequences, that it's not that they're having no effect, they're actually having the opposite effect and uh, potentially uh, prolonging the pain due to that original injury. Mm. Wow. So, uh, and, and you said that there's other studies besides yours that have been done previously that show that opioids potentiate inflammation, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And actually that um, potentiated inflammation um, has been shown to underlie a lot of the adverse effects um, of opioids that are, are really clinically problematic. So things like tolerance, dependence and addiction um, have been shown experimentally to be mediated by this pro-inflammatory response uh, from glial cells. Now glial cells are really interesting because back when I did my, uh, my medical training, it's kind of like there's nerves, there's, uh, there's parenchyma, and then there's all these other cells that we call glial cells, and they're really not that damn important. Uh, and, and what I found from the most recent, I guess, research that you've been doing and other people across the scientific community is that these things are really damn important. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk about the, the role that a glial cell plays in um, mod modifying neurologic activity. So. I think what's surprising is that glial cells actually represent 90% of all of the cells in the brain. So they're a, the vast majority of cells. And they're broken down into a couple of different um, subtypes. Um, one is microglia. These are the um, uh, tissue-specific macrophages of the uh, central nervous system. Uh, the other is astrocytes. They're responsible for maintaining blood-brain barrier integrity. Um, as well as providing metabolic support um, and, and cleaning up uh, metabolic waste from neurons. And I guess their role has expanded um, as our knowledge has grown recently to the point where they're now um, being considered part of the classical synapse between two neurons. Um, so what's been a term that's been proposed is the tetrapartite synapse to describe the, the close proximity of both the pre- and postsynaptic neuronal terminal as well as astrocytes and microglia. And so they all uh, participate synergistically um, in neurotransmission. Wow. Yep. Go chew on that for a little while and try to understand what he just said. But, uh, but I guess my take home again is glial cells are important and morphine seems to act on those glial cells in an adverse way, at least when it comes to the, so the central nervous system. 
Now, um, you work primarily with rats, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Do you name your rats? <laughs> um, I don't, mainly because uh, I'm sad to see them go. A man with a heart. <laughs> now, let's talk about some of your other research. Bill Clinton is famously being quoted as stating, I feel your pain, right? And I, I, I heard that you've done a study where you can actually transfer pain between rats. Can you explain what, how you did that and, and kind of what that looks like? Yeah, so we took, um, given our knowledge of the, the role that the immune system plays in, um, in mediating and, and uh, maintaining chronic neuropathic pain, we wondered whether these immune cells could actually uh, would, would be permanently modified so that they actually have some pain-enhancing properties that could be transferred. So to test that idea, we, we took two groups of rats. One had um, a low level of pain, another had a high level of neuropathic pain. We took cells from the spleen, splenocytes, um, from the high pain rats and then just injected them systemically into the low pain rats. And by doing that, we are able to transfer the phenotype. So these low pain rats actually demonstrated a higher level of pain. So just by transferring these um, peripheral immune cells, we were essentially able to transplant the pain. How many splenocytes from other people do you think that Bill Clinton has him at him in this moment <laughs> right now? Um, maybe given some of his uh, dalliances, uh, I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> a wise man knows when, knows when to not wade into American politics, which has gotten messier and messier. Yep. Okay, so the other study that you talked with me about while we were, we were chowing down before grabbing a beer is exercise. Exercise in rats. You know, and we as, uh, as uh, medical providers, clinicians, recommend to exercise a lot to patients for different reasons. But I've never recommended exercise for pain. And uh, maybe you could speak about some of the research and what, what it suggests. Yeah, so in our rat models, we, um, in addition to trying to identify new um, pharmacological agents to target glial cells to, um, to attenuate or to better treat neuropathic pain, we also wanted to see whether some, some lifestyle factors um, might play into that too. So um, we did a, a couple of different studies here. The, the first one, I think the most exciting one, was showing that if we let the rats run in a, in a wheel that was housed in their cage for six weeks, prior to a peripheral nerve injury, that that actually protected from the neuropathic pain that followed. So, so exercise um, uh, decreased the severity of the injury, it created a more systemic anti-inflammatory response so that when that injury occurred, um, the, the magnitude of the pain was markedly diminished. We've also done the flip case where we've taken rats that already have a peripheral nerve injury and then exercise them afterwards and shown that we can progressively um, reverse the pain, the neuropathic pain, the longer they run on the wheel. Wow. So peripheral neuropathic type pain is made better by exercise, at least in rats. Is there something that's the opposite of an inflammasome? Is there some other way that exercise is good for chronic or neuropathic pain? Yeah, so so one is that it, uh, and these are some things we're starting to investigate now, is that it's um, raising the endogenous antioxidant defense um, so that when a, um, 
you know, a, a traumatic incident happens that results in the production of these reactive oxygen species that the body is able to better adapt and deal with that um, without these um, devastating consequences of prolonged pain. The other is that um, it's producing an anti-inflammatory um, uh, response so that there are more, um, in this case, interleukin-10, the anti-inflammatory cytokine, um, uh, producing cells around so that the injury um, itself isn't so severe and so toxic. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned interleukin-10 because I think a lot of the, the work that you're doing is fascinating in terms of not only identifying what creates chronic pain, but then how we actually treat it. Uh, because what do we do with opioids? Do, besides, do opioids just mask pain? Yeah, exactly. So, so opioids as well as other agents like uh, gabapentin, uh, 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 amitriptyline, they're symptomatic, as you say, they're just masking the pain. Um, they're shutting down the activity of these pain-sensing neurons, but that doesn't really get at the underlying problem, which is what's actually driving that central sensitization. And so our idea is that it's um, these glial cells um, that are continually producing um, these pro-inflammatory cytokines leading to that sensitization. So one way to have a disease-modifying approach then is to boost um, the uh, anti-inflammatory um, capability of the of the system. So one approach that we're experimenting with and we've now moved into uh, pet dogs and horses um, is, to, uh, is to use an interleukin-10 gene therapy. And so that then recruits um, local immune cells to persistently produce IL-10, um, which suppresses that pro-inflammatory response. And so just a single injection in our rat model can reverse neuropathic pain for three months. Um, and that's with a, an intrathecal administration. And then in the pet dogs, um, an injection into the uh, joint capsule is um, really improving the arthritis that these dogs have. So we, we see almost immediate changes in their gait and their function. You're saying that in the future, there might be a horizon where we treat chronic pain by changing people's physiology, by introducing anti-inflammatory mediators and cells that mediate anti-inflammatory properties in the spine? Yeah, exactly. That's that's our goal. Um, you know, we, we think that what's happening is that there's just a shift towards pro-inflammation um, that's causing these um, really terrible long-term effects. We just want to swing the balance back in the other direction. Let me ask you as a layperson, I know that while you work in, you know, with, with science and you work in a lab kind of on the frontiers of pain, what do you think about how medical providers, what have been your observations about how medicine has treated pain in the last 20 or so years? I think it's, for one thing, been taken a little bit more seriously um, in that it's chronic pain patients aren't just considered weak-minded uh, anymore, and I think that's it's also a community view as well. Um, it's I think it's being treated as a disease in its own right, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I think what's unfortunate is just the lack of tools to really do anything about that. Um, and as you mentioned, the the drugs that are available are symptomatic, um, and that's where a, a lot of the research now is focused on modifying the underlying disease process that um, we're discovering through animal models. What's the research that you and other laboratories across the country are doing that you think is going to change how we treat pain in the next 10, 20, 30 years? What's pain management going to look like in the future if some of the uh, research you're doing at the bench side ends up at the bedside? Um, I could see that we could 
potentially drop opioids altogether for, for long-term uh, treatment of pain. Um, and that we're, we have agents that are uh, normalizing subtle disease processes that um, potentially uh, uh, don't have the same sorts of side effects that um, these other drugs that are acting on very broad systems do. An opioid narcotic free world. You've got your beer in hand, I've got mine. Let's go ahead and cheers to that. Thanks very much. Okay, so this has been Don Stater here with the Emergency Medical Minute. Real, raw, relevant as always with background noise in a noisy bar here in Boulder, Colorado, speaking with a dude who's way, way smarter than me. And thank you so much, Peter, for agreeing to come on the Emergency Medical Minute. And thank you for the work that you're doing to try to get us to a better, a better world where we can manage pain both more effectively and with less dangerous agents. Thanks, it's been my pleasure.